head, and then I'll close the saddle.
to want to adopt us as his own children. And then it says this, to the praise and the glory of his grace by which he made us now to be through Christ accepted in the beloved. In him, listen to how special this is, in him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. If we don't get a hallelujah amen for that, I don't know why. That is special. We have been redeemed, forgiven. His grace has done all of this and gives us all the blessings in heavenly places. And then in Galatians chapter 4, another one that talks about how he has adopted us to be his. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Oh, we couldn't make it through the law. He was born so that he could redeem those who were under the law, that they could be re receive the adoption to God as sons. And because you are sons, God has now sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts and into you. And he cries out, Abba, Father. They're no longer a slave now, but we are sons. And you know what? If you're sons, you are heirs with Christ and God. Everything that Jesus gets as being the son of God, we also get because we are now sons through him. And we are heirs of everything that he has. He wanted to adopt us unto himself. Mark told me this morning that there's over a million kids now that's been adopted in this country. Can you believe it? They received something special. We are taken out of this world and adopted as sons of God in Christ Jesus. And then, you know, there's a lot of crazy things going on in this world today. There's people out there, you know what they, what they, they try to politically correct it over with is saying that they're demonstrating. There's people demonstrating out there. Really? Do you know what that word means? Because I don't think they do. I went and looked it up, and it says to give a practical exhibition or an explanation of how something works or how it's done. I don't see any kind of practical explanation going on in all the things that I see happening in this world. Of course, the Wikipedias of the world have expanded on the original definition, and now they say that now it's come to mean a demonstration is an action by a mass group or people uh, in favor of a political or another cause, and they take in a protest as a concern. Really? I want to show you some demonstrations today, okay? I want to show you a true definition. You know what the biblical definition of, of a demonstration is? Let me tell you what it says. The biblical version says to commend and establish, to stand near something. In other words, to support it. And to also not only support and commend something that lines up with facts, but it's also something that emphasizes the character of the thing that you are putting on demonstration. Paul chose the word demonstrate or demonstration four times in the book of Romans. I want you to look at Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. But now, now, 
to us. The righteousness of God apart from the law has been revealed and it's witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There's no difference now. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. Me probably more than you. I looked around. You all are, are pretty good folks. I have sinned more. I've fallen from that grace. But I've been justified freely, he says, by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation. That's a big word. It just means his life in exchange for mine. By his blood, through faith. You know why God did that? Look what that next verse says. To demonstrate. I like the way God demonstrates. He demonstrated his righteousness to us. Because in forbearance now, God can pass over my sins. And uh, demonstrate presently his righteousness through Christ Jesus who justifies us. I like that version of demonstration myself. Thank you. I like it that God demonstrates his love towards us in that way. And that's our next slide. Romans 5, verses 8 through 11 proclaims, God demonstrates his love to us in that while we were <coughs> sinners, Christ died for us. I like that kind of demonstration. God says, while you were sinners, I demonstrated my love to you this way. I sent my son to die for you. And much more now. Now that God has did this while we were his enemies, he reconciled us to God through the death of his son. How much more now will he? Man, folks, as Christians, we ought to embrace this. Listen, now as children of God, much more that we've now been reconciled, shall we not be saved by his life? Therefore, rejoice. And be happy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ in whom we have received the reconciliation. Now there's a demonstration for you of love through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I'm going to tell you an old, old story today and make an application to it. People today in all of these demonstrations and all of these things that are going on, people don't really feel safe a lot of times, do they? People have been kind of scrambling. People have been alert and on, on the lookout for different things. I want to talk to you about the protection of God that you have. The love of God has demonstrated salvation to us through Christ Jesus, but he also demonstrates it in a lot of ways. He demonstrates it through us in the provision of the things. Have you not seen the lilies in the field, how they don't soil, uh, toil, they don't sow, but yet they are clothed like even Solomon and all of his glory could never be clothed. Do you not think that God will not take care of you, O ye of little faith? That he did that for them, which today is, but tomorrow is thrown into the oven? I mean, if, if you haven't been watering your flowers, they're probably pretty dried up right now, right? That's what, you see, if God takes care of them and keeps them going, it, what about you? Are you not worth much more than lilies in the field? Well, look at Psalm 140, verse 4. Your protection is utmost in the mind of God. And it says, keep me safe, Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Protect me from the violent, those who devise ways to trip up my feet. You want a prayer that you can pray over you and your family each day as you get up and you get ready to go about? You take Psalm 140. It's a promise from God 
And you pray that as you get ready to get up in the morning and as you go to bed at night, you say, Lord, keep me safe. Keep me safe from the hands of the wicked, from those who devise things against me. Don't let them trip me up. You pray that prayer in faith to the Lord God. But I, now that you're in Numbers chapter 22, you know, for those of you who have been around a while, when I first started, oh, three years ago or so, I gave an entire lesson on Balaam and Balak. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take it in a totally different way today because I'm, I'm only going to talk to you about the end of it. I want to take you into the deep waters. I want you to see how special you are. And even though you don't even really know it, God's got you covered. And there is no harm going to come to you that, that he does not want to come to you. So in, in uh, Numbers chapter 22, as we get ready to go there now, we've got a guy named Balak. He's king of the Moabites. And, uh, and Miss T and Gary, I may be everywhere because I'm going to try not to just go by this. I'm going to just go where we're led. But they're sitting there and Balak looks down one day. He's up on these mountains and they're up on the mountains because the Amorites had whooped them. Devastated them. And so they were afraid and they left and went up into these high countries to try to protect themselves. And they looked down one day and there's two million of the children of Israel camped down in the valley. They have just whooped the Amorites. Now, we'll do a little deduction here. If the Amorites whooped me, and these folks whooped the Amorites, that means they're double trouble, right? They're way better. So if we got whooped before, what do you think is going to happen now? So they were totally afraid. Now here's what happens when you don't know the word of God. The Moabites were cousins to the Israelites. Now, God has told the Israelites, you're not going to fight against, as I send you into the land, you're not going to fight against the Moabites or the Edomites because they're your cousins. Okay? So you're going to try to, to not do anything with them, but there's the other people, the Hittites, the Jebusites, all of these ites out there that we are going to go against, but not them. So if Balak had known the word of God and had that as a foundational principle within his life to go by, he wouldn't have been afraid because he would have known that they're not going to attack me because they're our cousins. But by not knowing the word of God, fear runs rampant in the life. And so he begins to say, how can I protect ourselves from these people? Moses and the children of Israel have no reason to go up on that mountain and get them. That's not even in their plan, but he's afraid. And so he says, I'm going to call for the rock star of sorcerers. There's a man from the land of Aram that is known as the rock star of sorcerers. He's going to tell him, we know that who you bless is blessed and who you curse is cursed. And so we're going to pay you to come and to pronounce a cursing upon these people that are camped down here in the valley so that we can come up against them and maybe beat them. And so they sin and first Balaam checks with the Lord because I didn't put this in, in my notes, but, but Balaam has, he's a wavering child of God. He's now kind of a believer, but he's got, he's one of those, we're going to do a lesson in a couple weeks, that hangs on to the past. He hangs on to his old life and his past a little bit as he's, as he's moving forward. So 
He's doing the right thing right now. He checks with God. He says, you guys wait. I'm going to go check with God. And he comes back and he tells them, God said, no, I can't go with you. So they go back and they tell Balak, I can't. And he said he's not coming with us. That the God didn't let him. He sends better people, the highest ones in his cabinet. And then he sends a blank check and he tells them, please come and help us with these people. We're so afraid. I, I can honor you. I can give you a blank check. I can do more things for you. Don't stand back and not come and see me. So he goes and checks with the Lord this time. And, and the, the Lord says, well, do what you want. Basically, is what he told him. Now, I want to tell you about the wills of God. There is the directed will of God, and there's the permissive will of God. And then there's the overriding will of God. You see, the directed will of God is like the word that you read in there, thou shall not kill, thou shall not steal, all of those kind of things. That's a direction for us. That's a directed will. The permissive will of God is you can still go and do what you want to do, right? But you might pay a penalty for it. So there's a directive will, permissive will, but then there's an overriding will because when it comes to something that is in God's plan to happen, he overrides everything and doesn't let you do it. So he tells him, he says, you can do what you want to do if you want to go and try that, but you're only, as me overriding you, you're only going to be able to do what I tell you that you can do. You're not going to go beyond my word on what I tell you you can do. And so long story short, they get going. And they take off, and he goes over to uh, visit with, with uh, Balak. And down at the end of that chapter, you get down there towards the end of it, and uh, they're setting up the camp. They go, they start offering up some idols and everything. And he, he says, here's where I'm going to take you to, to be able to do this cursing. And so they, they go up on the, to the Mount of Baal. Uh, or Baal, as a lot of people pronounce it, and they take him up there, and I want you to know that this is like home field advantage, okay? Because he is a former sorcerer of way renown. He comes from the land of sorcery and, and darkness. They take him to the top of the mountain to where of Baal, which is like a demonically charged place. This is where their offerings, their sacrifices, their incantations, so you've got like a home field advantage for the team darkness as it's getting ready to go up against team God, Israel, down there camped in the valley in their tents. And he gets up there and, and they offer these sacrifices up and he goes over to the edge and he looks down upon him camped down there in their tents in the valley. And the word of God came to him and says, there is no cursing upon these guys. If you look down there and turn the page now to chapter 23 of Numbers, it says that he goes over there, and in verse 7, he comes back and he tells them this. This was the word of God that came to me, Balaam tells Balak, and he says, Balak, king of Moab, you have brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east, and you said to me, come, curse Jacob for me, you said. Come and denounce Israel. Now, look at that verse 8 real close, because we're going to make application later to you and I with this, okay? Verse 8, Balaam says, the Lord said to me, how shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how will I denounce who the Lord has not denounced? Do you hear that? He can't do anything, even in all of this home field advantage, that the Lord God doesn't want him to do against his people. Who's his people today? 
us, right? I mean, Israel, yes, but we are spiritually Israel when you're in Christ. We are his children and his people. And he says, you are not able to curse whom I have not cursed and or denounce them. You remember what Paul said in Romans 8, 31? Here's something I want you to know as you leave here today. Take this verse with you and apply it in your heart. If God be for us, amen. If God be for you, who can be against you? So doesn't that drive out a little bit of your fear? Don't, don't worry about it, he says. Therefore, he said, you can't curse him. You can't, you can't denounce him. Praise God that we can't. He, he in turn blesses them. He pronounces a blessing upon them. And Balak gets all mad and says, I brought you here, and I'm paying you to curse, not to bless my enemies. And he says, he must be the first one that came up with this. If at first you don't succeed, what do you do? Try, try again. So we're going to go up on mountain number two. He says, come on with it. We're going to go to a different route. So he says, maybe we can get a different view and get a different version of this. And maybe you'll be able to curse the people. So they go up on the second mountain now. And in verse 18, the word of the Lord again comes to, to Balaam because they offered seven more sacrifices on their altars and did all their things. And he goes back there to see if he can do a, some kind of incantation against them. And I want you to know something. I don't know if you realize it. And this isn't on here either. Today is an eclipse that's called the ring of fire. Has anyone heard of that that's coming today? A ring of fire eclipse. In other words, we're in the summer, so the sun is bigger than the shadow of the moon. So when the eclipse comes... The middle is dark, but the outside looks like a ring of fire because it didn't completely cover it. Today, to them, is an unholy day to those folks. And all around the world, they're going to be trying to say incantations against this country and against y'all and against me because we're Christians. The story says God's got our back. They're not, we can't do it. They, he steps out there in verse 18. He's got the word now. He looked down there again, and he comes back to, to Balak, and Balak's all excited. What, what, what did you curse him with? What word do you got for me? He says, rise up, Balak. Stand up. And here, I want you to listen to what I got to say to you. Listen to me, you son of Zippor. God is not a man. And I say thanks goodness to that. He said, God is not a man that he would lie. In other words, hadn't he already told you once he's not going to curse him? God keeps his word. He doesn't change his mind. He's not a man that he would lie, nor a son of man that he would repent. In other words, change his mind just for you. He's not going to do that. He ain't going to change his mind. He's not, he can't be intimidated. You can't, you can't bribe him. You can't scare God. God is not intimidated by you and your cursings and your incantations or anything in your home field advantage because he is God. And he says, I am not a man. I'm not like you. You don't scare me. And I'm holding fast. I said it, and I will do it. And that's just the way he is. He spoke it, and he meant it. And I'm not going to reverse it. And then he says this. Here's what the Lord God told me about that camp that's down there in the valley right now. He said this. He said, there is no iniquity in Jacob, and I don't see any sin in Israel. 
And I want you to know that when you talk about Jacob and Israel, they're the same guy. God changed his name after his conversion. So when he talks about Jacob, he's talking about the old man before conversion. When he mentions Israel, he's talking about the, the new one after conversion that he brought them to be his people. And he says, I don't care if you're looking at their sinful side or their, or their Jesus Christ bought side. I don't see any iniquity or sin in them. We're going to find out why in a minute. But he said, there is none down there. So therefore, now look at verse 23 real close. Therefore, because I don't see any of that in them as I look down, there's no sorcery that's going to touch Jacob. And there's no divination that you can come up with that can be made against Israel. But let it be said, oh, look what the Lord God has done. Amen. How about that? Doesn't that make you feel good? There was nothing that they could do against it. He's talking about us, too. He's talking about protection in your life. Moses and the children of Israel down there in that valley camp, they've got a mission. They're getting ready to go to the promised land. They're not looking at going up in the mountains, and they're not looking that somebody is up there trying to curse them and to cause harm and to destroy them. They have no idea. But they're down there just as safe as a baby in the arms because God is protecting them. He's your protector. He said, there is no sorcery, no divination, nothing can come against my people. So now here we go with that try, try again thing. Balak says, I'm not taking no for an answer. Maybe we'll get a different view and get God to change his mind. Didn't he just tell him that God's not a man or son of man, that he would change his mind or repent? But some people just cannot grasp the character of God. And they keep trying to kick against it. And it's unbelievable. Now let's switch over to chapter 24. Turn the page. Turn the page. We're getting ready to get into good stuff. We're in some deep waters now. We've just now chugged out there to the middle. And we're getting ready. To, the waves are rolling around us. We're getting in this deep water here. When Balaam, this is the third time now. When Balaam, it says, perceived that God did not want to curse Israel, but only to bless them. He didn't go out this time to try to do all of that cursing and go through the rigmarole. He goes over to the edge. He goes over to the edge of this, this Mount Peor. And he, he looks down there in the valley. And now that he's on God's page instead of the wrong page, he's repented of that. And he says, I want to see why, why God wants to bless him instead of cursing him. I want to understand this. And so now he's looking for understanding from God. And he looks out there, and all of a sudden he begins talking, and he says, man, I, my eyes are wide open. My, my eyes, I'm seeing a vision from God, and it is so beautiful. Look out across here. And with raised eyes, when he saw Israel camped with their tents in that valley below, he says this, how lovely, in verse 5, are your tents. O Jacob, and your dwellings, O Israel, you are like aloes planted by the Lord. And your king, oh man, your king that's going to arise from you is so much higher than Agag, and his kingdom is going to be exalted. Blessed is he then that, cur that blesses you, and cursed is he that curses the people of God. And Balaam said, this is the word of God. And I want you to see how magnificent this is. This is so magnificent. As he's standing there looking down on, on there, the vision of God comes to him and he begins to understand.
understand sometimes and why they can't be cursed. And he looks and he says, how beautiful are your tents. How wonderful is your dwellings that are there. You're able to figure out why it's, that's so great and blessed. Let's go back to the beginning of Numbers. Numbers chapter 22. If you've got your Bibles and you're following along, why don't you go back to Numbers chapter 2. As, as we turn there, here is those hidden things of God, that deep water that we was talking about a moment ago. This is the deep water situation where God, you know, it's, it's God loves to hide things, it says in his word, and then reveal them to those who search it out. Let's search out the matter, okay? Numbers chapter 2, as we begin, the word of God spoke to Moses and Aaron. He said this, I want every one of the children of Israel shall camp. Now catch this. See, he's talking about how they're going to camp as they are moving on their journey through the wilderness all this time. Here's how you're going to camp. Now the children of Israel shall camp by their standards or their flags. Here's our, our flags up here. We're going to, every one of those 12 tribes had a standard, had a flag. Judah was the tribe that was the lion of the tribe of Judah. Their flag was the lion. And he says, I want Judah to be the first one because that's where my son's coming out from. And so Judah is going to camp there with their standard. And then he says, with Judah, there's going to be Issachar and Zebulun. And he goes on and explains in, in those verses there how many there are in Judah and Issachar and Zebulun. And then he says the total number of this section of tribes is 186,400. And you are going to be on the east side of the tabernacle because he says the first thing is my tabernacle. It's going to be in the center of the camp. Do you know why? Because God wants to be the center of your life. God wants to be the center of your dwelling, the center of your everything. He wants to be where everything revolves around him and, and worship. So my tabernacle is in the center. And then to the east, the standard of Judah and the other two tribes that are with him. And then as we move on down, we go to verse 10. On the south side of my tabernacle shall be the standard in the tents of Reuben. And, and notice that there's nobody on like southeast, northeast, northwest, southwest. It's to the east, to the south. We're going straight directions with these tents away from the tabernacle. So God says now in verse 10, that the next one is the standard of Reuben. And with Reuben is going to be Simeon and Gad. And this is the number of theirs, 151,450 that are in this, this camp going to the south. And then if you look at verse, 20, uh, verse 18, their camp there and their total is one of uh, Ephraim and Manasseh and Benjamin. They're going to be to the west side and their number is 108,100. This is the smallest unit of the of the the three tribes that makes up the four directions. So that's 108. They're the exact opposite of Judah and them. That's the largest at 186,000. There's a big discrepancy. Now the south and the north sides that face each other, they're kind of the same size. One's 151. Now we're going to read, starting in verse uh, 25, about the standard of Dan that goes to the north side of the tabernacle. And that standard is 157,600 with Asher and Naphtali. 
And you're beginning to say, Daryl, why are you talking about Numbers chapter 2? And there was this tribe camped here with their standard and their tent and these with them and this one there. Isn't that some mundane stuff? Isn't this unessential? This is kind of the stuff that as you read the Bible, you just pass on through, right? It's like for the guests, you know. There's nothing important here. I want to show you how important this is. There is nothing in the Word of God that's not there because He loves us and because He wants the best for us. Because if you look, God told him how to camp in that valley. And as Balaam looks out from the edge and he could see him way down there from the mountaintop, he sees Ephraim to the west and Reuben to the south, Judah to the east, and Dan to the north. And from that mountain to where that campground is, this is what he would have saw. And in the center is that tabernacle of God. And I get cold chills every time I see this because God commanded them to camp exactly this way. He knew the number of every person in every tribe. And when you take the smallest and it's up at the top and you take the largest down at the bottom and the two in the middle that are close to each other, you've got the cross of Jesus Christ. And God told him to camp for a purpose. And he said, if you will camp the way I am telling you to camp, I will protect you and I will guard you and there will be no harm that comes to you for 40 years as you're out there in that wilderness. And there's not going to be diseases. There's not going to be harm. Even your shoes ain't going to wear out. Your clothes ain't going to wear out because I am the Lord your God and I am taking care of you. Amen. And they had no idea that by just doing this mundane thing of camping the way the word of God told them to camp, that it formed a cross so that God, as he looked down every day upon those people as they were camped, he did not see them. He saw the cross of his son that was going to come. And so whenever that man gets up there, Balaam, and he says, I want to curse these people. And God says, you are not going to curse my people because I look down on Jacob and I look down on Israel and I don't see sin. I don't see iniquity, but I see blessing and I see the shout of a king coming out from there. And folks, I don't know about you, but in Christ Jesus, when God looks at you now, he doesn't see iniquity or sin. He sees a cross. Amen. This is the old time version to show us that God's love and protection abounds to his people. And there is nothing. What did Jesus say? He said, upon this rock I will build what? And what can't stand against it? The gates of hell. All of the gates of hell up there on the mountain was trying to curse them and it couldn't. When you are in Christ, God now sees his cross. He does not see who or what you were. That has been taken away. That's been washed. That's been forgiven. That's those things that we just read about as we started. And you are now adopted as his son. He's going to take care of you. And so Balaam says, I see the vision of the Lord. And now I know why he could not curse. There's a shadow of a king down there. And he's going to be greater than the greatest king that's on this earth right now. He's going to be superior and I can all I can do is bless him and blessed are those that bless God's people and cursed are those who curse God's people 
And I want you to know today that that fast forwards to us. That looked forward to Christ and the cross. But you and I, being in Christ today, we look backwards to this same cross, to this same work of God that redeems us by exchanging his life for ours. So as we get ready to close on Romans 8 and 31 and following, I want you to read what it says about you and I now. Just like they were protected, God says this to you and I who are in Christ Jesus. What shall we say then about all of these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He, now listen to how special this is. This is Father's Day. He, this is God the Father speaking. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not then with him give us all things? Who can bring a charge? Remember that, the incantation of divination. Who, who can bring a charge against you who are in Christ Jesus? No one can. No one can bring a charge against God's elect. It's God who justifies, not them. It's God who justifies. Who condemns you now? No one. It's Christ who died and furthermore is risen. He's at the right hand of God and he's making intercession for you and I so that no one can do that to us. There's no one to condemn us. And now listen to this. So therefore, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. There's not any tribulation. There's not any distress, any persecution, famine, nakedness, nor peril, nor sword, nor anything. For in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, he goes on to say, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor hell, nor the gates of them, anything of present or to come, no height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in his Son, Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. And that's directed to you and I that are in Christ. In other words, remember that old song, you can't touch this. God says, no, you ain't touching that. You can't. There ain't no way I'm going to let you do that because I look down and I see my cross and I see my son. I don't see them. And you ain't touching that. So as the worship team returns today, in the time that we took up our cross daily and we, we forgot about all that kind of stuff, in the time that we turned and followed Jesus and uh, we camp, we walk, we pitch our tent with him in the way that he tells us to do in his word so that as he looks down upon us as we're walking in his way, he sees the cross and he doesn't see you and I. You say, well, how do I get that spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus? Well, in Galatians chapter 3, it says this, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, we are now adopted as sons to God through faith. How? For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you put on Christ. So that's how God sees Christ in you. When you believe in faith in him and you've been baptized into Christ, you put him on. You, he becomes you. And what God sees when he looks down is not you now. He sees Christ because you have put him on. This is the day to honor God the Father. If you've not done that, why don't you come to him and get adopted today? 
and, and put on Jesus Christ. For those of us who've already done that, Romans 13, 14 tells us that we need to continue to put on the Lord Jesus Christ each and every day and not allow the flesh to take advantage of us to fulfill its lust, but to live for him. And that's how we honor God the Father each and every day, walking in faith and putting on Christ in this life. And today is the day. Let's, let's pray. And Father, we thank you for this story from your word. It's a true representation of a demonstration of love. And it's a demonstration of love that says, I love you so much, I sent my son. You believe in him. You baptized into Christ. You put on my son. And now when I look down, I don't see you. I see him because you put him on. And his life got exchanged for yours. And so, Father, I just pray that if there's anyone here, that your spirit has now opened up their hearts to know you and to love you and to accept that invitation of Jesus to come forward this day and to be baptized into Christ and put him on. Father, we've, we've got clothes in the back, if that's an excuse. We've got clothes to put on so that they can be baptized. We've got towels to dry off so you can put your old clothes back on and be dry to go home this day. But I pray that no one leaves here this day without putting on Christ. And for those of us who have, may we, may we pitch our tent and walk with you in your ways the way you've asked. So that as you look down, you continue to see each and every day us carrying the cross and not ourselves. And Father, that's a tough thing a lot of times. And I thank you for grace and mercy each day and that forgiveness through Jesus. But help us to realize your protection, your love, your provision that you have given to us. May we take advantage of it this day. In Christ's name we pray.